Welcome to Girl, Water Your Grass. We talk about all the things to better yourself, your family, your career, your dreams, your goals, and your life, and how God's dreams over us are so much bigger than our own. We are just two girlfriends who grew up in the bluegrass state of Kentucky with five brothers each and have reunited to take our dreams to the next level. Now we're inviting you to get out of your own way, girlfriend, and come on this ride because on this journey of a lifetime, we never arrive. your grass. We are super excited to have probably our very favorite person with us today who is just, it's true. There are no words to describe him. So he is a brother. He is a father of us all. And we are just blessed to call him a dear friend and brother in Christ. Maria and I would love to welcome Father Ken Hey guys, what's going on girls? Good to be with you. Thanks for having we're, me. Love you. Hey, so proud we're of y'all. Super pumped. We're yes, super pumped. We've been looking forward to this. Yeah. Right. It's, it's just been, we've just been waiting on it, waiting on yeah. it our whole lives. So, yeah. so, all right. Just, just a little caveat here, just for all the viewers here. So I have known Maria since she was a teenager oh, yeah. and I've known MK for, I guess about 11 or 12, 13 years, something like that. So oh, there's a lot of history. A lot of history. Here, so a lot of history. So you just remember that family. Right. You just remember we knew Father Ken before he was Father Ken. So. That's right. But not before Christ, though. They, they only knew me post-conversion. So they, they don't have all the good stories. <laughs> Which is what we heard into. That's right. So we thought yeah. it'd be fun just to kind of dig into Father Ken has an amazing story. Yeah. Um, and continues to have amazing stories as he has surrendered his life to the Lord. But we just really thought it'd be great for you all to get to know someone that has had massive impact on us in our lives. Mm-hmm. And it's making massive impact out in the world. So that's yeah. what we're going to talk about today. And then you all will be hearing back from him as we're going to have him back um, just to impart his wisdom upon all of us. Yeah. So what we wanted to start with was really just digging into, you know, who is Father Ken? Who, you know, what was your background? How did you get to where you were? Because clearly you did not all of a sudden emerge as a child and hello world. I'm father Ken. (laughs) There was a process of that. And, you know, a lot of the people who listen to our podcast are entrepreneurs or, you know, they are people who are wanting to elevate wherever they are. And one of the things with girl water, your grass is we really like to just remind everyone, you know, the whole point of all of this, the whole point of everything is heaven. And you had such a conversion into that, uh, that recognition. So we'd love to just have you share with our audience what that story and that process has been like for you? Sure. Well, just for your listeners real quick, just the, the quick synopsis, to, you know, are, are you going to listen to this or not? Uh, I, I worked in business uh, for about seven years and co-founded a software company and, um, and then found my way back to faith. So I was agnostic for the vast majority of my life. So, so that's the synopsis in a bucket. So I, I hope that that captures, piques your interest enough to, to stay tuned to listen um, but what I want to share, I guess, in this story is, yeah, it's my story, but it's more 
of my story with God. Uh, this is my Magnificat. I, I can't say that I did any of this on my own. God really guided me the entire process. So, so really, you know, what I share here is very much the, the words of the Blessed Virgin Mary, that my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Um, so just kind of going back to the beginning, I grew up in, uh, in Houston, Texas, on the north side of Houston uh, in, this, in the 80s and 90s, um, where the faith out there was, um, there was a lot of limitations, a lot of lacking. There was a disproportionate focus on uh, the social justice issues uh, and a very significant absence, teaching of the doctrine, sin, Eucharistic adoration or devotion. Uh, so much so to the point that uh, when I was going through high school, grade school, CCD, all that formation, I literally knew nothing about any of the teachings of the faith. I mean, I knew Jesus, Mary, and Joseph, and, and that was effectively it. Uh, so I never had any rooting in the faith. Um, my family was a kind of a nominal Catholic family, a typical 1980s Catholic family, so to speak, where we went through the motions. We went to church every Sunday. We did everything the church asked us to do in terms of participation in, in social programs. We did all of those. But one of the things my mom kind of pointed out to me was that the church never asked us to come to daily mass. It never asked us to pray the family rosary. It never asked us to read the scriptures together. And again, I mean, there's no malice in it. It's just those are things that weren't said or didn't happen. And there's personal responsibility on our part we have to take. But, you know, this was the culture, the Catholic culture of the time. And so there was this great absence. Uh, I hated going to church. I didn't understand any of it. I didn't like it. Um, I couldn't sit still. And as I was forced to go to church throughout life, uh, I became more and more resentful towards the church and towards any spiritual leadership in my life. And so um, as life goes, you know, it won't surprise you that because my family did not pray together, we did not stay together. So my senior year of high school, my parents' marriage separated, ending in separation, then ultimately ended in divorce. And I began to play my mom against my dad and I gave up faith and religion altogether. And I embraced agnosticism, uh, even mocking Christians. Uh, I thought what would make me happy in life was to make money. Uh, so I went off to college to get a uh, business degree, thinking that, you know, this was going to be the path that's going to satisfy my life. And it was interesting time. It was I was in college between 95 and 98. And the internet is really just going from dial-up to broadband. And, and there's a real big emergence from a business perspective. And my roommate was a computer science major. So we would build computers, we would play video games, we would do all sorts of cool networking stuff uh, just so we could goof off. But what I didn't realize is that divine providence was even working there. It was giving me an exposure to this whole technology field that was completely outside of my business and marketing background. And my junior year of college, I wrote a paper on the internet and some of my conclusions were right, some were wrong, but it was an introduction to the faculty and staff about kind of the intersectionality of the internet and business. Uh, at the beginning of my senior year of college, a computer company approached uh, our business department looking for a priest. I'm not looking for a priest, <laughs> looking for a <laughs> uh, member. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, slip there, huh? Uh, looking for a member of their, their student body that understood primary market research as well as technology. 
And I think I was the only one and, and I interviewed for the position and ultimately recruited out of college to go to work for this company. And I was hired into their advanced R&D group working on MP3 players, eBooks and DVRs. Uh, so we were really on the cutting edge technology then. Uh, so back our big then claim, that was like not a thing. It was just coming out oh, for no. all of you. Gen Zers, you wouldn't understand, but it was, uh, you, you used to get on the internet and it would dial up and you would hear, welcome to AOL. Remember that? You have mail. Um, yeah. We, we, remember how excited were you when you were, when you got mail? Like, I got oh, mail. Yeah. Now it's like, yeah. Now it's like, oh, how many times? Oh, mail. yes. Yeah. Oh, well, so, that, so, so this is a very cutting edge thing, right? Yeah, you are on so, the precipice of like, something big. Of it all. Of it all. I mean, our claim to fame is that we came up with the very first working prototype of the iTunes store. The, the big issue was it wasn't how you could sell a piece of digital media. It's how you could do it securely. And the company that I was working with had a serialized feature on, on some of their media. And so it allowed them to be able to sell it and link that serial number to the sale. So we were one of the first companies in the internet era that could, could securely transfer digital data in a secure wow. fashion. Now, Apple came in and crushed everybody. We didn't, you know, we're not Apple. We, they, they beat us up pretty, pretty solidly, but, um, but it was That's neat to be stuff. part of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was amazing. I mean, and the people that I were working with, so here's the crazy thing, guys, is that like the people I were working with, my boss was a devout Catholic and all of the computer engineers were Christian of some sort. And I would kind of be like, hey guys, I thought you guys had brains. You know, what do you believe in this Jesus stuff for? And they were kind of like, to believe in God is to have a brain. Smart people believe in God. Like, and I couldn't get away from that conversation fast enough. Um, it really freaked me out. So, um, so as we're working when you're on not these, where you're supposed to be, you want to push yourself far away from truth, right? Yeah, whatever. If you, <laughs> I, I love I this. Tell me more. Listen, I, you know, at the end of the day, I wanted, no one was going to tell me how to live. I mean, I think that was really what, if you were going to boil it down, I had all these scientific objections, but really at the end of the day, I didn't want anybody telling me how to live. Well, which, which is true of all of us that nobody wants to be told. We want to, you have to eventually figure it out on your own and you have to get there. You know, you can tell people all day long, but until we self-discover and until what well, we always say, St. Augustine's quotes, one of our favorites, our hearts are restless until they rest in you, oh God. Right. Yeah. And it's, yeah. uh, but you found it on your own, which is why, Probably if you were pushed into it, you may not be where you are today, right? I mean, you well, like it, well and, and I would make just one adjustment to what you said, not so much self-discover, but God discover. Um, yes, and, and absolutely. Being still, the exactly Holy, what you're saying. The Holy Spirit right? active in your life, right? Yeah, that's right. It's being still, you know, that's the difference between the Christian context of self-discovery and the worldly context of self-discovery. The world says you just look inside Who yourself you? and figure it out, right? But the Christian context says, it's, it's being in the presence of he who is to discover he who you are, right? Um, so that's that's really the key thing. What's, it, well, what's, what's cool with that too is I was um, listening to a talk recently and they were talking about how, you know, the beautiful thing with Christianity <clears throat> is it's a religion where, you know, the other like Hinduism or Buddhism or some of those, <clears throat> excuse me, you are you know, it's you going out to look for something, right? Even if it's you going inward or going out, you're going out to look for it. Christianity is Jesus coming after you, you know, mm -hmm. is that, is that aspect yeah. of, is like pursuing your heart and um, versus you trying to sprint it and, and do it all. And it's not that we don't 
do our part, you know, but that, um, that we have a father who seeks after us. And so father, what was that like for you? Were you happy during that time was, you know, what was your heart going through? I I had a lot of happiness, but it was all worldly happiness. I mean, I I was, was, yeah, it was a pleasure, right? It wasn't authentic happiness. No, I had, there were moments of authentic happiness because I was surrounded by great people. Mm. And, uh, you know, I was making, you know, I was making, uh, I don't know, forty to fifty thousand dollars a year while concluding my senior year of college. So I was already in a career field before I graduated. So I was going to school full time and working full time. And so I came out of college. I mean, just you know, right. I was already yeah. flying. Yeah. Um, and again, you know, that's doesn't sound like a lot of money today, but but twenty five years ago, that was a, that was. A, that was bank six figures easily today. Yeah. yeah well, exactly. with inflation, it might be more than that. Yeah. yeah it's, well, it's double now. It's like 80, 85 now in, in today's yeah. money. But um, so, so I'm making great money. I'm having, but I'm working, you know, I go to school full time and I work full time and I have these moments with friends and, and these, you know, gatherings and stuff like that. But, but it was truly workaholism in the, in the strictest sense of the word. And I was so immersed in this stuff. Um, I finally graduate college and literally the day that I graduate, like we had our graduation ceremony on a Thursday and Friday I show up at work and my boss says, Hey, let's go for a walk. And so we leave campus, punch out and leave campus. And uh, he says, hey, I got this idea for a new software company. And he shares the idea with me. And he, he said, he told me how, how our director of software and some of these other guys were interested in the project. And it obviously didn't, didn't um, compete with our current company, but it was a totally different idea. And um, he said, I, I think we can solve an industry problem with this, but I also think that we can make a lot of money. But the problem is, is that I can't pay you for your work. So what I'll do is offer you ownership in the company in exchange for your for your work. So a little sweat equity deal. And, you know, having just graduated now down to one job, I had all this discretionary time. So I said, sure, why not? And so we worked our paying jobs nine to six, uh, Monday through Friday. And then we would work a couple nights uh, and then all of our weekends, we would work together. And, you know, we would work seven in the evening to one or two in the morning and then on the weekends. And we were always over at Mike's house. And so I was very close with he and his family. And it was myself, Mike, and, and about five other guys. And we were really working on this. And so here I am, co-founder of this company, and we work all this time. And we finally develop it to a point where we can present it to investors. And after a variety of, of non-glamorous, non-shark tank uh, exciting meetings. Uh, one venture capital firm liked the idea so much they invested four and a half million dollars into the project. So here I am, 24, 25 years old, thinking that I've arrived. I mean, check that box. My salary was huge. I was making more money uh, after two years of, of professional work than my dad was after his entire career. Uh, and he was so proud of me. I mean, it, it's, it, it was just an amazing time to be there. But in the midst of this, as we're getting developed in this, uh, my boss pulls me aside and he brings me back down to planet Earth. He really pops that bubble. Because what I'm going to share with you is effectively a synthesis of a handful of conversations, but it's a very accurate synthesis. Basically, what Mike said to me was, you know, Ken, professionally, I have no problem with you, but personally, I do. When we meet with people or, or you see someone with a little cross or a crucifix, you'll make a Christian reference. But you've told me you don't believe in God, you don't pray, you don't go to church, 
And some of the stories you tell are unbecoming a man, let alone a Christian. Mm. And that's where it began. It's unbelievable. I mean, Somebody that's willing to speak truth into your life, yeah. right? It's like, that's, that, that is how the Holy Spirit works in our lives. Yeah. And it's yeah. amazing. And nothing short of just all the gratitude in the world. Right? What did you think? Yeah, when, you're not kidding. When he said that, what did you think? Um, one of the, one of the specific quotable questions he asked me is he said, Ken, how do you reconcile what you say with your behavior? Mm, And I literally, literally responded. I said, Mike, I don't even think about it. Wow. Which is is very like real in today's world. We don't think because I was just doing me. I, I didn't think I was hurting anybody. I wasn't, you know, I wasn't being mean to kittens. I was recycling, you know, I was doing all the things the world says you need to do. But, um, you know, but, but he challenged me, but so here's the thing. So like my conversion, like this is the, the, the peak of my conversion then and is now is this call to authentic authenticity, letting my yes be yes and no be no. Like, like that's key. Like how can we be authentic and integral? Because the journey to holiness are, are hinged on those two things, authenticity and in, integral uh, mind emotional, spiritual unification. And now how do we unite that with God in truth, authentic truth? Um, I love that. Cause I think in our world today, we try to put, we try to compartmentalize our lives, right? Like we have buckets yeah. and like, well, I'm here at mass and I'm doing all these good things or I'm showing up to church or I'm yes. friends with my, my pastor. We go out to dinner with he and his wife or, you know, we don't have just Catholics listening to our podcast, but we compartmentalize and we can't yes. compartmentalize because God yeah. made us body, mind and soul and you probably did, would you would it be accurate to say you started to feel restlessness as he opened this up to you? So so not immediately. Um, so what happened was is Mike not only challenged me to let my yes be yes and no be no, just being a man, just like being an authentic man, like not telling off color jokes or you know you know stupid stories, right? Just to be just like man up, right? And so that was a cool challenge, but then which Mike is human went, because human formation we know comes before right. spiritual formation, right. which exactly. is what we do. Exactly. It, maybe but just no. give our listeners one little pearl on on that because I think it's very rare for people to understand that human formation comes before spiritual formation. Yes. Yeah. It's it's being good at one will make you better at the other. Make you open to be able to receive. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, we have to be able to, to be able to stand before God and and respond to his question. Jesus asked us, who do you say that I am? And we speak who Jesus is. And then we have to face Jesus and say, Lord, who do you say that I am? And be willing to be vulnerable enough to hear that and have him speak truth, but then also develop the basic fundamental principles of virtue in our lives to allow human formation to grow on. Again, human formation, human integrity is not what the world says it is. It's based on virtue. I mean, go back and read Socrates, the pagan philosopher who was who said the pursuit of virtue is, is the goal of happiness. I mean, you know, Jordan Peterson said, uh, he said, be good and, and hope for happiness. Yeah. And again, if you're good, happiness will be a net result of virtuous living. Virtue, right. Even to, apart from spiritual. So so basically Mike challenge you, challenges you to grow into just being a better man, a better human. Yes. Yeah. But but he didn't stop there. So here's the thing. So Mike not only challenged me in that way, he also invited me to come to church with he and his family. 
And so for the, I mean, so this was cool. So we went to this, he had five kids at the time and we go to this chapel and his kids are all over the place. I mean, they're, they're all kids. I mean, they're just like, you know, okay, you know what I'm talking about. They're just, they're just all kids. No, my kids sit down in the pew, fold their hands, look straight ahead and don't utter a word except for yes, That's MK. That's the Walton family. That's it right there. And now she's going to confession for lying. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. No, no, no. Sarcasm, sarcasm and uh, satire does not count. That's uh, um, so, so, but here I am watching this very normal family in a very normal way in church. But then I see my boss, who's quite possibly one of the most brilliant engineering minds I've ever met, kneeling before Jesus in the Eucharist. Mm. Now, that did not convert me, but it's enough to give a person pause. And so, because I thought belief in God and, and those kind of things was ridiculous. It's fairy tale level stuff. But here, the most intelligent man I know is kneeling before God in prayer, humbling himself. And, and again, it didn't convert me, but it gave me pause. Now, now again, I've got to shorten this story because it's way, way too long to, to tell the whole thing. But um, when I went off to the Catholic church, you know, my, my roommate at the time was, was then a Baptist. And so my Baptist roommate saw me go to the Catholic church and he was terrified because he knew I couldn't get saved at the Catholic church. So he, he invited me to come to his church. And, and then my church of Christ friend, he saw me go to the Baptist church and he knew I couldn't get saved with the Baptist. So I had to go to the Baptist, his, his church, right? All over so, the place. You know, what's, yeah. what's beautiful, I think, with, with all of those that come there is that I think sometimes we're so afraid to invite someone, you know, we're afraid, well, what, what will they say? What if, you know, they'll, they'll make judgments and whatever, and people are dying for truth. They are. And so just extending that invitation, it may not be that moment where conversion takes place, but it's creating space for the Holy spirit to work on them. And and also remembering it's not about you. Listen, you say, Hey, can I invite you to come with me to God and see what God does? I mean, like, let's just stand there and see what happens. I mean, maybe I'll get zapped and maybe, you know, who knows, but, um, you know, it'll be fun either way. Um, but, but yeah, that invitation is key. It's so important to make that invitation and not be afraid to invite people to do that. Um, but, but here's the thing. So, I, so I went, to, I did not settle on Christianity. I just had Christian friends and they were inviting me to think I went through the spiritual thing. I, I, I got, I was looking at, at Kundalini yoga, uh, some of this, this Buddhism, Taoism. I mean, I, I went down that rabbit hole, not necessarily in practice deeply. I, I, I kind of put my toes in the waters looking at it, but I, I immersed myself in the study of that pretty significantly because I wanted to reject all world religions, thinking that I was smarter than all these things and claiming to be spiritual, right? And I mean, these things... Uh, uh, it would just anyhow, just so I had to go from this conversion from agnostic to the sense that God exists to believing in a spiritual presence in God. And then as I started to see the many, many deficiencies in this spiritual concept, um, I decided to give world religions a look because uh, a lot of the good people, the best people I knew in business and in life were, were Christians or followed a couple of Jewish people that I knew. Uh, we're amazing people. And so I'm like, let's just look at this because I'm not seeing that, you know, you don't see uh, little yogas of the poor, right? There's no little yogis of the poor out there. There's no uh, yoga hospital, right? It, it's, it's, the, 
it's Mercy Hospital, it's the Franciscan Hospital, it's the Dominican education system, right, that offered free education. So, um, so it just challenged me to look at world religions. And so I then kind of took this deep dive into world religions. And as I kind of laid out the world religions, uh, you look at all of them, and of all of them, it's only Jesus Christ, the only founder of a world religion that claimed to be God. No other founder of a world religion claimed to be God. And so I said, well, let's start there because you can cross that one off the list. And, and that clears the deck of a lot of people. Mm. And obviously, you can kind of see how this ended up. And so um, I began to study that concept of Jesus Christ being God. And that was a journey in itself. And then once recognizing that Christ is, in fact, God, then you get into that question, which flavor of faith is it? Is it Catholic? Is it Baptist? Is it non-denominational? Does it matter? Does God care? Um, and so I had to go down that journey. And so um, that kind of brings us to uh, to my conversion. Uh, and then, yeah, so that's that's kind of uh, studied my way into Catholicism. There's a lot of things that we could touch on in that. Oh, it's, it's unbelievable. And I, I love that, you know, something I think that is unique is that, that a lot of priests don't have. And it's not to say that one is better than the other or not. But I think right. something that's so unique and beneficial that I've noticed in in Will and I's relationship with you is that because you had a lot of experience before you became a priest, you're so relatable and you um, you have lived in the world. You've lived in the secular world. You have known what it means to um, to date. You have known what it means to to work and to live the business world, to actually have to show up to work from nine to six and to not be able to necessarily pray seven hours a day and that, you know, our vocation as a married person is different than that of a single person is different than that of a person who's called a religious life. And so there's just so much gold that father Ken has been able to bring to our life and that you can share to all of these, all of our listeners and that we're all, we're all on this journey, but, but having lived those experiences, I think has given you more of a, a breadth and a depth in order to um, be relatable for us and to understand a lot of the challenges that we have in, in our lives. So it's been, well, well, speaking of the whole dating thing, I mean, that's the, you know, not to, not to go back to the old relationships, but I was literally on a date uh, the day that I realized I was supposed to be a priest. Um, It's amazing. Give us that story. We want to hear that story. So so the short version of this is that, uh, it's 2002, this, the market crashes, we sell our company. So it's a four and a half million dollar company. We sell it off for a million five, right? Million and a quarter, something like that. So it's a fire sale, but I've, I worked so much. I had, I had a cash, enough cash to live for a year. And uh, first time in my life, I don't have a job. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, how unfulfilling this business venture has been. And we thought it was going to you know, make a huge difference. But at the end of the day, uh, business takes over, right? And it's, there's all of the mechanics of business and it wasn't the fulfillment that I hoped for. And so I was thinking to myself, and again, I didn't realize that it was God asking me these questions until, you know, probably 10 years later, mm-hmm. but it was really God asking me these questions and me responding. So the first question that came to me was, um, what do you want the most out of life? And my response was, I want to be a husband and a father more than anything else. And then the next question was, if you meet the woman of your dreams tomorrow, will you be ready to marry her? And my answer to that was a a hard no. And there was a lot of things that just flooded my mind instantly. And one of those was, is that one, I needed to be in a career field, right? Uh, I had money, but money can go away in in an instant. Um, I need to be established in a career field. Uh, 
and then with the, with eyes on the future of, of what my corporate life will look like. But then also I realized, I was thinking to myself, if I had a, a wife and children, I would want to pray with them every night. But I myself, my prayer life was sporadic. So I, I like to say that I was a man who prayed, not a man of prayer. Mm-hmm. And, and that's a huge distinction. Being a person of prayer versus a person who prays is a huge distinction and, and a point of reflection. But so I decided, and again, there was a lot of other things that came up in that conversation, but I decided that I need to start preparing myself. I need to be the man of her dreams today. So when I meet her tomorrow, all I have to do is make adjustments. So I did what any business person did. I made a list of the three or four friends that I thought had amazing marriages and I called them and I went to them and I'm like, what does it mean to be a good husband? What does it mean to be a good wife? What makes a Christian husband? And, and she'd be like, okay, number one, he's not that great, but anyhow, so da, 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 you know? And uh, so I was hearing confession before you were hearing confession. (laughs) No, no, they were just beating each other up. So, uh, but I was seeking mentors. I was trying to get coached up. And so after several weeks of trying to get my mind oriented for holy matrimony, like, what does it mean to date? I I didn't know what it meant to date. I knew knew what it meant to do not date the secular version of all of those things. Uh, How do you court a woman with your eye on the altar and, and have good boundaries, physical, emotional, and spiritual boundaries, right? How do you engage properly? And so I'm learning all of this. And so after, I don't know, maybe 10 or 12 weeks of this, this investigation, friends introduced me to this wonderful, beautiful Hispanic girl. Um, and uh, so we start this courtship thing. And about eight weeks into this courtship, uh, you know, doing things together. We'd go to rosary prayer groups. We'd go out with, with groups of friends, really cultivating a friendship, zero boundary violations. Uh, she calls me one night and she's like, hey, yeah, you want to come hang out? There's a priest coming to my church. And at this point in my life, I never met a priest that had a pulse or seemed to enjoy what he did. And I was like, I don't, I don't know. I don't think so. But I'm like, time with you, time with God, what could go wrong? And uh, I'm, we go to this thing, and this priest is on fire. I never heard a priest speak with the fire of the Holy Spirit the way this man did. And uh, I literally, in the middle of his talk, I sat back in the pew with Melissa next to me, thinking to myself, if this man says I'm signing people up in the back to become priests, I'll go. I don't know what I'll tell Melissa or my family, but I'll do it. <laughs> and within 20 seconds, 20 seconds, Melissa has leaned over, elbowed me in the side, and she asked me, Hey, are you sure you're not supposed to be a priest? Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Talk yeah, about the voice of ever. the Holy Spirit. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, I jokingly say worst date ever, but really it's the best date ever. Um, so, so, so I freeze, like I freak out. And I'm like, Lord, if he says it, I, I will stand up right now and I will walk up it. But that didn't count. It has to be him. Mm. And the priest finished his talk and didn't make an altar call, didn't say anything about vocations. I mean, even if you would have hinted at it, I would have gone. And, but he didn't. And so I left that night and that was in November in Austin, Texas. Um, and the, now I leave that night totally freaked out. And four months later, I moved to Houston, Texas to pick up some consulting work. And so, so from November to February, the thought about being a priest bothers me every single day. It's, it's making me crazy. It won't go away. And I finally talked to someone about it. And he asked me, which is better for my life, my plan or God's? And I said, well, you know, probably God's. And he says, yeah, let's, let's, let's go with that. 
He says, how would you feel about meeting with someone once a month to pray about the idea of being a priest? No commitments, just to figure it out because you don't even like us. It's like, we don't want you. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> and and uh, he's like, he's like, you kind of have to want this to be it. Right. And I'm like, okay. okay. And he's like, he's like, so, so he sets me up. He gives me the name of this guy. He says, a young guy across town, go knock on his door. So literally 90 miles from where I lived across Houston and anyone who lives in Houston knows how big 90 miles across town. That's crazy. So I drive across town, knock on the door and out walks this old Irish priest, like all of my stereotypes of what a priest is like right there. And I'm just like, I'm like, I'm done. I'm done. Not, this is, this was the shortest meeting ever. And, uh, and he looks at me and he's like, and I, I asked him, are you father? So-and-so he goes, no, 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 that's somebody else. He's like, so he yells in the back for him. And, uh, and he looks at me, he goes, he goes, it's none of my business, but you look a little freaked out. And I'm like, you know, father, with all due respect, you're the second priest I've ever spoken with. And uh, I don't even know how to talk to you people. And plus on top of that, you know, I sell this company, I'm thinking this, I'm preparing for marriage and I'm on a date. And as I'm telling him this story, I said, you know, I was on a date and I'm thinking this, and she says this, out walks the same priest that was in Austin four months earlier. Unbelievable. Oh my gosh. Literally my mind was blown. And I literally, I introduced myself. I shook his hand and I said, hi, I'm Ken Geraci. I think I'm supposed to be a priest. Unbelievable. I mean, bite drop people. If you think the Holy spirit is not alive and well working in the world, you are just flat wrong. I mean, it's unbelievable. Yep. So this is my Magnificat. These are, just that part, huh? And it just, the story gets better from there. Um, I, I never wanted to be a priest. I never wanted to be Catholic. I did not, I rejected half of the moral teachings of Catholicism, but I, I cannot tell you the freedom that it, that it gives. And, 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 you know, what would make a person give up his career field, marriage, children, all of that, you know, it's that encounter with God. And I, I experienced him in such a profound way. And this is where he's called me, right? The greatest vocation in the church is the one you're called to. Um, so when we say yes and live it, I mean, our life is just incredible. And, and again, y'all have been part of a lot of that in recent time. So um, have you told the Beth story? Have you told Beth's story? We have not done that yet. Sprinkle, well, we sprinkle. We everyone on this podcast bit. knows who my Beth is. Yeah. Um, yeah. We're, oh we want to have Travis on yeah. here. We want to have, maybe we'll have you and yes. Travis together. Yes. Dude, y'all um, need Trav. No, tra- I'm dead serious, man. This is y'all fan favorite Travis Thompson and uh, Beth Thompson story. Yeah. yeah. I mean, but you know, this is unbelievable for our listeners just to hear, uh, the first part of your of your walk towards where you are today and it's to be continued um but you know i can i can testify that this is one of so many holy spirit stories that father ken has gotten to be a part of like it is just sheer gift and sheer gold there i mean i can think of 30 off the top of my head. Well, we could and literally spend the entire podcast having fun or again, just share stories. A whole year. Oh yeah. A whole year's episode. So many insane Holy Spirit stories, you guys, that literally just miracle after miracle, you guys would be, you know, for someone who didn't believe in God to hear that would be like, okay, wait a second. I need to question this belief. Um, just, just to beautiful. show that, you know, truly what we talk about here, that the God's dreams over us are so much bigger than our own. And that is your living story, Father Ken, that yeah. when yeah. you said, oh. I'm going to do it his way instead of my way, 
it's just literally been a, just a completely different life. Yes. Yeah. hundred percent. I, I, in, in, I, in a certain regard, I think I live more extravagantly now than I ever would have if I made all of the money that I was ever dreamt of. I mean, I have traveled, I've spent months in Australia. I've spent months in Haiti. I've spent, I mean, I, I've been to Haiti seven times and working with the poorest of the poor there. I've been to Australia doing missions out there. I've been to Europe, France, uh, England, the Spain. Italy with I mean, a fun group. Uh, yeah, yeah, well, <laughs> yeah, there, there's a little bit. You got to watch who you hang out with around there. So, <laughs> I mean, truly, you know, you show up and you're the priest and nobody's ever going to ask you to pay for anything. You don't need money. You know, hey, you show up. <laughs> I'm telling you, that is that is a, a well, you know, and our Lord said uh, for those who give up everything in my name, it will be returned a hundredfold. And mm. and uh, and it's it's a, it's humbling. It's truly, truly humbling because I was always God knew I was so self-sufficient that that vow would be necessary for me to depend on others. And, uh, and, uh, you know, I, I need, I need the community that God has given me uh, because I don't know that I would be able to sustain my priesthood without it. Um, it, it's truly a communal effort and and all joking aside, I mean, the gift that you, both of you are to my life, the gift that your families are, the fact that I can come over and just goof off with your kids and bake cookies together and, you know, just do family stuff. Um, it's, it's, it's amazing because it reminds me what we're doing and why we're doing this. Because uh, the only important thing in life is to get to heaven. And Father, what would you say uh, the, ben- the help, because I've had a lot of priest friends who've talked about how helpful families are for them and what a gift families are for them. Would you just speak into that just a little bit? Yeah, well, well, a good family encourages you and reminds you to see God's plan for marriage working. Um, a, a bad marriage, uh, and again, I say this tongue in cheek, but it's but it's in a sense there's a seriousness to it. Is that that you thank God for celibacy when you see some of these horrific marriages that that are unwilling to open their heart to God's plan, because it, it's so painful to watch this cycle of of desolation and despair and and discord in a family and seeing that God has a solution. God has a lifeboat for that family, for that couple. And if, if again, anyone is listening to this and your marriage is suffering, man, look into God's plan for marriage and, and really evaluate your marriage. Are you living a secular marriage? Or are you living a godly marriage? And when I, I mean, these two things are just juxtaposed to my priesthood, because if I ever have a problem in my priesthood, uh, it's always going to be my fault, right? And and so I have to ask myself, am I living God's plans for priesthood? And that's going to make sure that if I'm doing all my things right, then then good, you endure the suffering and pain and the hard times because there's a good time coming back around. But, but you, we really need to anchor ourselves in. So, you know, I think that's, that's, the twofold thing is that it's an encouragement for my vocation, generically speaking. But then also, I, I'm very human, and and to have family time, and to watch parenting, and to see and to interact and know what your struggles and difficulties are. I mean, yeah, it's easy for me to stand up and say, "Pray the family rosary," and now yeah, let's come to the Walton's house and like watch kids like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like yeah, all your head. Father, you lead the family rosary here. You get everyone settled down. Right. Good. No, and you know, that's really what, what we encourage you all here is just, you know, Maria's right now on a single vocation. 
that's still yet to be told that I'm in a married vocation and father's in a priestly vocation. And the whole point is to water your grass where you are, because that's where the most fruit is going to come in your life. And, you know, Father Kim, we definitely want to have you back to talk about, I have so many specific, so many I want to do a, a podcast <laughs> on just miracle stories. I want to do a podcast yeah. on the power and healing power of the sacraments. Um, just, I, I can, I can think of like 15 off the top of my head. We could do a, like, like a month long series on the story of Beth and Travis. Oh um, my gosh. That story it's, needs to be told that you need to get, you need to get Travis on for that. It's, uh, it's one of the greatest miracles, miraculous stories uh, of, of all of them. I mean, there, there's, you know, Mason green, uh, Beth and Travis. Uh, I, I, I don't even know if I told you about this, this, guy at the one of my last missions uh yes yes, yes. right the forgiveness thing For, like forgiveness is everything gosh that was that brought the house down um yeah no there's there's thousands but again you know it's it, but but the point of this is is that those who are listening is like this is not about you know what god is doing in our life yeah that those are our stories but it's god wants to do these same things in your life and, and, and he is I don't, oh my gosh eyes. it just sounded like joel olstein <laughs> my brothers and sisters god wants to do these things in your life too uh what he does i mean it, again there's not everything that he says is wrong it, it's when we look at this i mean god wants to do and work in your life as powerfully as he's working in mine um and again any of you who have children know this you see this on a daily basis these little miracles and these little amazing things but uh god wants to do these big things in each of our lives so so be open to it Right. And we just thank you for being here today. And we're just, we're just excited and we're grateful and tell our listeners how they can connect with Father Ken and what the Fathers of Mercy are doing. All right. Yeah. So stay tuned for that. So you can look us up on YouTube, on uh, Facebook, uh, Fathers of Mercy, uh, whatever, just Google search Fathers of Mercy on YouTube and you'll find us. And uh, forthcoming, we're going to be launching some reels, uh, some social media activity, probably in the next uh, month or so. So that's something to anticipate. Um, we're going to work in some just little themes and pearls of wisdom and, and try to uh, get a little exposure. But uh, Fathers of Mercy, we are professional confessors and preachers. We, we travel the United States. I spend seven months of the year on the road uh, uh, hearing confessions and preaching. And uh, it's all about bringing the mercy of God to his people. So um, so Joke in our house, who... where in the world is Father Ken? Not Carmen San Diego. where in the world is Father Ken? <laughs> so much wisdom, you guys. So much yeah. wisdom. That it's he so does. much fun. Like Father Ken is fun, you all. And he's love and he's just normal. It's great. <laughs> Whatever. No, I guess we're not normal. If yeah. we love the Lord. Let's yeah. make it normal, right? So. Yeah, I'm the right flavor of crazy. So <laughs> that's important. And, and as you say, we're not left, we're not right. You're just Catholic. Just that's it. I love it. Well, thanks for being here. And we will definitely be having you back. So stay tuned and we'll see you next week on Girl Water Your Grass.